0: You know, a few years ago, I was on a plane ride from Boston to Charlotte, and a gentleman sat down next to me on the plane ride, and he was terrified of flying. He told me that his hands were clenching both of the armrest. He was seized with fear. And we talked throughout that plane ride, got to know each other, and he asked me at one point, he said, how come you're not afraid? What is it about flying that, that, that doesn't scare you? I mean, after all, we are traveling through, through the air, 600 miles an hour, 30,000 feet above the ground. Why are you not clenching your armrest in fear? And I, I grabbed a, a sheet of paper out of the seat pocket, and I did this. And I said, that's Bernoulli's principle. It's a scientific principle that explains how a plane is able to soar through the air, how a plane is able to achieve lift. And this man, who had relaxed a little bit by this point, looked at me and he asked, he asked a question. He said, are you telling me that you trust in science? And I thought for a moment, and I thought about how that was a pretty loaded question And I said, I don't know if I trust in science, but I I definitely trust in the process of science. I trust in the method of science. I trust in the fact that many millions of people have tested out Bernoulli's principle over the years when they've boarded planes. I trust in all my past experience of getting on these planes. I trust in the, in the regulations that, that, that determine um, pilots and how they get their license. So it's not just that I simply trust in science, but I trust in a whole lot of things that allow me to sit on this plane, fly through the air at 600 miles an hour, 30,000 foot elevation, and it's that trust that allows me to sit here calmly, peacefully, talking with you. Our scripture this morning is a very familiar one. Uh, we just heard it uh, a week ago on Christmas Eve. And it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And It says later that that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson says it in his paraphrase, the message he says, the Word became flesh And blood and moved into our neighborhood. God's Word moved into our neighborhood. I've been thinking a lot um, these past few weeks as I've been preparing for this new year, this, this new year of 2021, and I've been wondering what Word needs to be made flesh in my life in 2021? What word needs to move into our neighborhoods in 2021? And that word for me is trust. What is trust? You know, I I grew up, uh, and I imagine you did too, with this idea that trust is something that has to be earned, something you have to work to build. Rick Warren, the popular American Christian writer, in in, in his book called Forgiveness, he says, forgiveness is unearned and um, should be given in an instant. But trust, trust is something that must be earned and it takes time. And, and that makes sense. The, uh, the word trust comes from some old Norse and uh, a word that implies strength. In fact, it's, it's kind of like a word that implies uh, something like a rock, something that you can depend on, that you can rely on, that you can lean on. And, and that's a good understanding of trust, and, and it reminds me of what Christ says to Peter in Matthew 16. Christ uh, asks the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, right away, gives the rock-solid answer. He says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Christ says, and you are Peter. You are a rock. Peter's name means rock. You are a rock, Peter, and on your shoulders, I'm going to build my church. And what's more, what's more, I'm going to give you the keys to heaven. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Christ trusts Peter. Christ places the hope of the ages in Peter's hands. But I have to wonder, what did Peter ever do to earn that kind of trust? I mean, after all, this is Peter. Peter's the, the one who told Christ, you will never wash my feet. And Christ says to Peter, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you have no share in the kingdom. This is the same Peter who fell asleep on Christ with the other disciples on the night just before Jesus's execution. This is the same Peter who denied Christ three times during the trials before Caiaphas and Pilate. This is the same Peter who Christ will say his famous rebuke to, get behind me, Satan. Christ says that to Peter. When I think of Peter, um, when I think of Thomas, who had to literally touch the word made flesh in order to believe in it, when I think of, of Paul, whose early career was spent persecuting Christians, When I think of Mary, the mother of Christ, or even Mary Magdalene, Christ's friend. When I think of Nicodemus, the Pharisee who had to come to Christ during the night. When I think of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. When I think of these people, I'm just amazed. These are some of the most debt-ridden, low-credit-score kind of folks to put your trust in. And yet Jesus says, you are a rock. Somewhere underneath all that mess, you are a rock. I'm going to build my church on people like you. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. It seems that Jesus places his trust in people who haven't necessarily demonstrated very much trustworthiness people like you and I. You know, it's, it's amazing that Jesus um, trusts Peter and the disciples with the church and with the kingdom. It's amazing that, that Jesus trusts us, the church, you know, with, with his mission in this world. And I've been thinking trust is so important to what it means to be the church. When, when people join um, the church, at least the Methodist church, we participate in a service. Um, it's in our hymnal and it's, it's called the baptismal covenant. A covenant is a promise. A covenant is a statement of trust. And we say to each other, we say, I will be the church with you. Um, I will support you with my prayers, my presence, my gifts, my service, and my witness. And then the, the, the other people, the people joining the church say, I will be the church with you. We will maintain this trust with our prayers and our presence and our gifts, service, and witness. Our church is built on trust, and yet it seems sometimes that churches don't have very much trust anymore, even, even sometimes uh, inside the church. It reminds me of a story. It's a joke, really. It's about a man who was um, stranded on a tropical island for, for 12 years, and his rescuers finally came and found him and he took them around the island, showed them how he lived, how he survived. And he pointed up onto a hill and he said, you see those three buildings up there? Um, Well, the one on the left, that's my house, my hut. That's the first building I built. Um, It provided me shelter, a place uh, to store food, a place to sleep. And he said, that building over there on the right, well, that is my Baptist church. It's where I went to worship and to pray. And the, uh, the rescuers looked at him and said, well, what's that building in the middle? What's it for? And he said, oh, and he hung his head and he said, that's the Baptist church I used to go to. <laughs> I hope you'll forgive me, especially if you're Baptist. I grew up Baptist and I know that that story um, has some truth, if we're honest. But if we're really honest, we know that I could have told the story about Methodist. I could have told the story pretty much about, about any denomination in America. And so that story actually reminds me of another story that is sadly not a joke and is very real. I read about this church. It was a Lutheran church. Um, I think this was in around 2010. And this was a church that was having a serious disagreement, a political dispute, a theological dispute, um, a social dispute. It was all just rolled into one. And the church was not sure how they were gonna move forward. They didn't have a way forward, and so they decided, well, we'll take a vote. We'll take a vote, the majority will rule, and whoever wins the vote, well, they will decide what the best course is for the future. And so a proposal was written out, and the church voted on it. 51% voted to adopt the proposal. 49% voted against the proposal the 49% by and large left the church. They, uh, they went to other churches that maybe um, more aligned with their opinions and their theologies. Um, I think some of the people from that church may have started another church um, on their own. And the people who remained, the 51% who supposedly won the vote, um, they inherited a church that was far too large for them to maintain. It cost a lot of money. They inherited a staff that was too expensive to maintain, to pay. So they had to let a lot of the staff go. And in the long run, even the people who won also lost their church. I, I don't know what, what has happened to the church um, since 2010, but that's how I remember the story. And, and, and the one thing I do know, though, the one thing I know, is that that church did not really split up because of a difference of opinion or because of political discord. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that many of the people who participated in that vote, I'm willing to bet that their opinions on the subject have changed in the last 10 years. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a difference of opinions that broke that church up. It was a lack of trust. Rather, it was a loss of trust seems to be happening a lot these days. We've lost the ability to say, yes, I'll be the church with you, come thick or thin, come life or death, come political disagreement, come theological discord. We've lost that ability to trust each other. And when trust is lost, everyone loses. You know, I can't help but think about um, this thing that George W. Bush used to say, or at least he tried to say it, and I hope you will trust me that that I mean nothing political by this. Um, It's a cultural idiom, and, and he would sometimes bungle it, but we all got the point. He would say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, he, he, he did mess that up a lot, but we always understood what he meant by it, especially in, in those years after 9-11, after that tragedy. He meant, you got to be suspicious of other people. you got to be vigilant. you got to watch out. If you see something, say something. Don't give away your trust too easily. You know, especially if someone's given you a reason not to trust them. you got to be careful about your trust. But as I stand here near the warmth of this Christ candle, this candle that we lit on Christmas Eve when we celebrated the Word made flesh in our lives, I can't help but say, thank God that Jesus never said something like that to Peter. That Jesus never said to Peter, fool me once, Peter, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. And thank God that Peter, that, sorry, that, that Jesus doesn't say that to us. He's got every reason to. But Jesus looks at us and says, no, no, you are a rock. Jesus looks at all of us and says, you are a rock, and you may not be able to see it. Maybe it's buried beneath layers of doubt and denial, layers of, of, of not even being able to trust yourself, but deep down, you are a rock, and on that rock, I'm going to build my church. And I'm even going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I trust you with it. And you know, when I, when I consider um, what God has entrusted me with, and what God has entrusted you with, and what God has entrusted us his body, this church with. I can't help but think I need to take that trust and let it be made flesh in my life this year. Empowering me to trust others in ways that I've never done before. And I can't help but think that we need to let that word be made flesh in this church this year that we need to let that word invade our neighborhood, empowering us to trust in God, even in 2021, even in the face of an unknown future. And so the Methodist Church has a tradition. On the first Sunday of the year, we recite a prayer it's called a covenant prayer in the Wesleyan tradition, and it's really a way for us to renew our covenant with God, our covenant with each other, our trust with each other. And my prayer is that as we read these words, it will be, it will be more than a recitation of some archaic words, but rather that these words will take root in our lives and will grow and blossom into a new year of trust for First United Methodist Church of Waynesville. Will you pray with me this covenant prayer from the Wesleyan tradition? I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee exalted for thee or brought low for thee let me be full let me be empty let me have all things let me have nothing i freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou art mine, and I am Thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. As we leave today, let us take this benediction with us into our week and into this new year. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything give thanks, gratitude to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep our hearts. Together as one and together in Christ Jesus. Let us go in that peace. Amen.
1: Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another.
0: And now let us join together in the prayer of great thanksgiving. The Lord be with you.
1: And also with you.
0: Lift up your hearts.
1: We lift them up to the Lord.
0: Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
1: It is right to give our thanks and praise.
0: It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Before the mountains were brought forth or you had ever formed the earth, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You created light out of darkness and brought forth life on the earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity in Egypt, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so... in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. You sent a star to guide wise men to the place where Christ was born, and in your signs and witnesses, in every age and through all the world, you have led your people from far places to his light. And so by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant, a promise by water and the Spirit.
1: On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves up in praise and thanksgiving redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory, and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor is, and glory is yours, Almighty God, now and forever. Amen. God, this is the body and blood of Christ given for you.
0: Thanks be to God. Keith, this is the body and blood of Christ given for you and for all the world. Amen.